Hi everyone, this is Kat here to introduce the newest installment of Feminine Chaos. I was joined for this episode by author and journalist Nancy Rahman for a discussion of some recent controversies surrounding creative content, the internet, comedy, apps, you know, the usual stuff. There is an extended cut of this interview available on Patreon for subscribers in which we address the recent concerns surrounding teen girls on Instagram and whether that app is damaging to their mental health. So if you're interested in that, I hope you'll check it out at patreon.com slash chaos. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for being here. I'm so delighted to be here. Good morning. So we're uh, gathered to talk about the kind of current viral news cycle, which centers mainly on um, the Chappelle comedy special, which has spawned more coverage overall than Afghanistan, more or less. <laughs> and uh, and also uh, to talk about the overlap between that story and uh, a sort of an ongoing moral panic about harmful content online, specifically content targeted at teenage girls. And Nancy, you've written some really interesting stuff about this, so I'm excited to have you here to discuss it. Um, should we start by talking about the ongoing saga of the Chappelle Closer special? Sure, and also um, what happened to the uh, the the Netflix walkout of a thousand people that turned out to be, I think, two dozen people. Yeah, it was yeah. Do- dozens. Dozens Dozen. is a word that That's does right. a lot of work in this coverage. That dozens could be twenty four, right? <laughs> um, it was so uh, you know more than twenty four, less than a hundred is yes. what we know for sure. Yes, I think about fifty I, is sort of the number that people are going to um, are going to settle on. But that's probably one of the few things that they are are settling on um, right now in this story. So um, I guess I'll tee us up a little bit. Yeah. So there was the uh, the the Dave Chappelle uh, special closer, and um, it was it seems to be pretty universally liked by people that watched it. Um, but it's been very universally disliked by. Um, the segment of the population that feels that he is transphobic and that what he's saying is causing harm, or as Jill Soloway, who I guess is now Joey Soloway, mm-hmm. said, um, transgender people are in a holocaust, and and I guess you know Dave Chappelle is not helping this. And um, Netflix put out the special, it's done incredibly well, and then uh, a bunch of Netflix employees. Uh, well, we actually don't know how many Netflix employees, but it was said that they were so upset that Netflix had done this that they were staging a walkout. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be, it was, was it Variety that said it was going to be a thousand people? I'm not sure actually where that rumor got started. And either what happened is that Variety or it was one of the, one of the Hollywood trades reported it. And then, um, 
either the same source for that story also talked to everybody else or everybody else just reproduced that factoid without bothering to confirm whether it was accurate. Uh, either way, it became a, sort of an accepted truth up until the moment when the actual walkout took place and there were substantially fewer yeah. people than 1,000. It's like about 950 people fewer than 1,000. <laughs> yeah. um, so I suppose, you know, for the sake of uh, kind of putting our cards on the table, have you watched the Chappelle special? I did, yes. I've watched probably uh, every special he's done for the past two or three years. And if I can just interject one thing, because I was thinking about it this morning. Um, do you watch them, Kat, by the way? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's not my favorite, but I'm not really a big comedy person. So, okay. uh, you know, that's that's a me problem. Um, I, I, I found he did, he did something in July of 2020. I just wanted to check my math and it was July, 2020 called Dave Chappelle and friends from sort of this like outdoor gazebo stage in Ohio. And, you know, this is at the part of the pandemic when everybody feels like they're crazy, right? Mm -hmm. You still can't leave. Nobody really knows what's going on. There's no vaccine. It was a frightening time. And I think it was incredibly generous to kind of stage this intimate, funny thing. It was like we were invited to be there at a time when he, I think he made people feel less crazy. Of course, now he's making some people feel more crazy. I find him to be a really kind of uh, generous and humane guy and a thoughtful guy. I understand his humor is definitely not to some people's tastes. Um, people think it's gross or other people think it's harmful. I, I find him to be a super smart guy that really has his finger um, on the pulse. I did. I enjoy the closer. I did. I didn't think it was the his funniest one, but I I I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I thought that it was probably the least funny of his specials, but it also, um, you know, in in the way that a lot of comedy or, you know, comedy, like putting it in scare quotes currently is, um, it was aimed at kind of poking at things in a way that's uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, where the laughter is based on that, not so much on, you know, kind of just like raucous hilarity. It's more like, you know, you laugh because what else are you going to do? Yeah, I think also, you know, he's been sort of under the gun. He's been a target of, of people that want to bring him down um, for for a while now. And so people that are in that position, you know, it's hard, I think, to not make some of your work be about that. And you can, it can either be like sub Rosa or you're going to like address it directly. And he chose in this one to address it directly. Uh, I'm not going to go. I mean, people should just watch it, but I also wound up crying twice watching that. And I, I think that's saying something, you know, he, he's got some stories to tell and I, and I think that they're really worthy to tell. So I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, like Vito Giraldi. I'm not sure how to say his name. I'm like, you know, I like Dave too. Dave is funny. Oh, right. So Vito, uh, we should add, was a counter protester at this Netflix walkout. Um, he's a YouTube entity. Um, I guess he's a comedian in his own right. Um, I know from listening to the Blocked and Reported podcast on this topic that he does these stunts where he'll attend protests and just kind of be absurd or be ridiculous, not in a hateful way, but um, they, you know, they... They played a clip of him uh, at, I guess it was a 
some Black Lives Matter protest where he was um, decked out in like an old timey snack vendor's uniform and he had the the box that was strapped to him and he was like, gotcha, hot pop and corn, you know. Um, so, you know, good, Kat. that's what he sounded like. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, you know, he he turns up to be maybe a little bit of a, a fly in the ointment, a little bit of a thorn in the side of people who take themselves too seriously. And he was in attendance at this protest, uh, holding a sign that said, I like jokes, which yep. I just think is kind of brilliant in the way that it it made the protest itself look kind of ridiculous you know it was like so you know this is this is the other side you know on the one hand we have Dave Chappelle is committing acts of violent harm against a marginalized community on the other hand the response to that is but I like jokes. I like jokes. I like Dave, you know, and he also, I, I would just say he's a goofball. I went back, you know, when, when he was in the news and I did watch some of his, his other segments. He's just a total goofball. Yes. Is he trolling? Yeah. He's trolling a little bit, but he's doing it in like, it's almost G rated, you know? And, um, he's kind of this big roly poly dude. And his, I think he played that Netflix. I mean, people have, a lot of people have probably already seen it or heard it. He played that exactly correctly. Like no matter what they did to him, he was like when they took his side and broke it, he's like, why are you breaking my side? It's <laughs> just like they broke my side. And and then when, you know, the guy's like, he's got a weapon because they tore the sign off and he's just got the little pole that it was on. And he's like, oh, oh yes, I, I have a weapon. It was just sort of ridiculous. And he really did make the uh, protesters look Sorry, as someone who has stood in groups like that all last summer in Portland, people of that ilk, but maybe 20 to 25 years younger and dressed in black, um, it is very, that was very, very familiar scene. Very mm -hmm. familiar. And um, and to keep his sense of humor, I mean, I guess that's what he was there for. I, I thought he really, he showed how absurd this was without like spending, you know, 3,000 words on it in, in, in whatever publication. Yes. You know, I think that that's also why um, it was so important to the protesters that he be sort of destroyed, that his sign be destroyed. Um, I wrote about this a little bit for The Spectator um, to, to talk about sort of the genesis of this protest and what, in my opinion, was actually behind it, which I think has a lot more to do with people kind of scrambling for opportunity, people wanting to have their projects funded, wanting power, wanting influence and wanting money, then it does have to do with an actual genuine belief that Chappelle is causing harm by telling jokes about a community that doesn't respond well to them. You know, maybe a, a bit more about that later. But, um, you know, the quest to portray this as very serious and to kind of overstate the harm caused, I think, does have a lot to do with the fact that the greater the harm you can claim, uh, the more you're entitled to be compensated. The demands issued by the group protesting the Netflix special were pretty illuminating. They did not, I think most notably, request that the special be removed from the service. And if you genuinely think that it's causing harm, that's really the first and arguably only thing that you should be concerned with, you know, is, is getting rid of this thing that is contributing to violence, supposedly, against a community that is already suffering a great deal. But that's not what they asked for. Instead, they asked to 
promote trans and non-binary content alongside Chappelle's special. And they asked for a special fund to be created just to, um, to, to be a budget for projects by trans and non-binary creators. They wanted trans and non-binary people to be elected to Netflix's board. So this was really all about a group of people, a group of elite people, people already with a lot of privilege and a lot of influence saying, we want more. We want more privilege. We want more influence. We want more power. And to do that, they needed to be able to claim that they're they were very aggrieved that material harm had been suffered and that they were entitled to this sort of by way of reparations, which is why the appearance of a man holding a sign um, and behaving in a way that really highlighted the how low the stakes are in this conversation was basically intolerable to them. Well, it, you know, it, it is about opportunism, I think, uh, very often in these things. It's like, look, uh, now is my opportunity. I can say I am aggrieved. I am historically aggrieved. I am in pain. I am maybe in danger. I fear for my life. And in, or, and, and in order for you to make that right, I need these opportunities. And, and also sometimes um, I need your job. I need, and, and that is uh, really, really problematic that we can give people these sorts of, I, I'm all for opportunity. I, I prefer that, you know, you got the job because you did a great job and you wrote a great pilot and they want to produce it, not because, you know, you're trans and so you should have this. I mean, I I, I kind of want the work to um, to stand on its own. I understand that's somewhat unpopular. It's like, well, we have to historically go back and, and you make things right. That's not for, for me to adjudicate. Um, I, I found the scene... <laughs> I mean, it was funny because Vito just stayed so calm within it. But the people shouting in his face, the the tambourine gal and the the shouting, repent, motherfucker, repent. That is comedy there, right there. Maybe that person should get a special because that was like so absolutely bizarre and over the top. But to think that that, that kind of behavior entitles you to more things. I mean, this is, it's absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's something that's happening here and it's, I mean, it's an interesting, I think, outgrowth of something that you've identified in some of your past work, um, which is this notion that the arts and artistic success is really a zero sum game. And so that if one person is succeeding, it's definitely happening at somebody else's expense or it must happen at somebody else's expense. And I mean, the name of your Substack, I believe is make more pie. It, it is. And, and the reason is because I, I, I remember years ago, this God, was so, so many years ago, I was in LA and um, a, a gal that I knew um, called me and I knew her not very well. And she said, I, I, um, I want your advice about something. And I said, okay. She said, well, I really want to, um, I really want to get my cartoons like in the LA times because I'm doing these cartoons and everything. And I was like, well, you should definitely, um, call our friend Roman again. You know, he's, he, he, um, he draws for them and, you know, call him. I, I'll give you his number and you guys, he can give you some tips. And she said, oh, I couldn't do that. And I said, why? She's like, well, because he's the competition. And I was like, you know, there's not one pie and we all cut it into smaller and smaller slices. We just make more pie. And she actually, you know, she was just, she, she didn't understand that concept. So yes, it's like, if, if, if you are 
I don't care whoever you are. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be in any subset. You're a person that wants to create things. Awesome. I want it. I want to see what you're doing. But do not do not stand on this platform that says, then you don't get to have it because you've had it before. No, I'm sorry. I have what I have because I work. And you're going to have to do it too. The idea that you get something, but somebody else shouldn't have it. This can become like really problematic when you're talking like, for instance, about the police. Okay. I spent a lot of time in Portland reporting from Portland. Uh, It's a very vocal, it's a very small group, but it's very vocal. And then the city council is also very progressive. And there are signs all over the place that said, you know, get rid of the police. We can do it ourselves. And it's like, I understand the concept and we should definitely look into police reform, but you're going to say, I don't like the place or go when there's like, I don't know, a murder or a stick up or, you know, your neighbor or something is, is, is happening. She's being robbed that you're going to go in and do it because you don't want this other subset to do it. And I, and I understand I'm, I'm, this is, I'm making this very reductive. There are problems with the police, of course, but you don't just get to do the job because you don't want someone else to do it. That's that's not how the world works, okay? And that's also really, like, you should be interested in how people do their work and learn from it and then do, do it yourself and maybe do it better as opposed to just getting rid of people because for some reason you think you should have it and they shouldn't. Right. Well, this is an interesting aspect of the conversation right now, particularly about who gets to be an artist, who gets to be a creator, because as this notion of a sort of a zero sum landscape has become more prevalent, what we also have is this notion that the person who gets to be an artist shouldn't be the person who is earning it by doing the most excellent, the most interesting, the most entertaining work, rather it's supposed to be a sort of a prize, um, at least, you know, as, as conceived of by a lot of the people who are having this discussion, that your artistic career is a prize for your good moral character outside of, you know, your actual work, outside of the actual content you're creating. Um, and that, I mean, this is how the idea of reparation seems to kind of become prevalent in the the Netflix demands, you know, from this group of trans activists who want more, you know, they want more access, they want more power, and they want to be able to make their own stuff. Um, it's this notion of it doesn't matter whether other people actually want to watch this. It doesn't matter whether it's good uh, in the sense that, you know, people would find it entertaining. It's just that we deserve it. You know, we've suffered. And so we deserve this. Yeah, that that's not, you know what? It, I mean, obviously, the the absolute evidence of this is you go on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever one of these calculators is, and it's like, what does the public say? 99% of the public likes The Closer, okay? And I, I guess it's like 33% of the critics in the media because they're like, you. people are going to tell you what they want, okay? And I am all for, I, I want everybody to go out and make awesome art. Go do it. And, you know, don't just stand there and say, well, I can't do it because Netflix isn't letting me. Okay, well, go create your own freaking Netflix then. Or just go, you know, punk rock it. But the idea that we all have to, like, oh, I don't know, bow and scrape and like your work because you're, you consider yourself someone who has been oppressed, that doesn't work that way. That's, that's, that's I, no. Right. Well, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't result in, necessarily very entertaining content, for sure. Uh, This is something that's sort of 
I don't know. I, th- I think about this a lot in terms of the impact of this mindset overall on what you see on television, you know, what's being written into shows now. And I, I mean, I should say, you know, you have this huge discrepancy. Um, and I think the thing, the one that people ho- hold up most often is, you know, compare Dave Chappelle's specials and the critical versus audience response to that to Nanette, Hannah Gadsby's quote-unquote comedy special, which was actually like an extended scolding about how comedy is bad and you're bad for wanting to laugh at it. Um, But critics loved that, you know, this this sort of elite group of people who are the dialogue leaders when it comes to culture writing. They loved it. And the thing is that that's fine. You know, just as I think that people who are really devout Christians should be able to watch content that resonates with them and sort of, you know, uh, like strokes them morally in a way that they find enjoyable. You know, that should exist. That should exist for them. It's a whole big, wide, beautiful world out there. And there are lots and lots of different audiences, different types of people who want different things from what they're watching, what they're reading. Um, But when you have a group of people who not only has this hegemony in the culture writing sphere saying, we love this type of content and we're going to elevate this type of content, but also arguing that the other type of content that is most enjoyable to sort of the masses ought not to exist because it's like morally corrupting and it's causing problems in society. That's bad to me. Matt Welch calls content like this, whether it's journalism or, or comedy or whatever, eat your Wheaties content, right? It's like, no, you know, you, you've you got to have this too. You know, it's interesting when the, the when that net came out, that was what, like four or five years ago? You know, of course, we're on Twitter and I, I saw a friend of mine who I really like and respect. She said, or she wrote to me, she said, you gotta, you've got to watch this. I was like, okay. So I watched it and I thought the I thought the beginning of it was okay, and obviously she's kind of an interesting-looking person, and uh, it was different. Um, and then it became quite, you know, she was talking about, you know, how she'd been sexually assaulted. Am, am, am I recalling this correctly? She was talking about sexual assault at Gosh. some point. Um, yeah. I remember her talking about getting beaten up. I'm not oh, sure okay. if it was, but yeah, I may be misremembering. I think there's something, Cat. I think there's something in the, and, and I think we're gonna we're gonna get into this about in another topic, like. Pain, your personal pain, if you have the, in scare quotes, courage to come out and talk about it, you are axiomatically a courageous person who must be, um, must be celebrated for that, must be cared for in a, in a different way. You now deserve sort of like more special handling. And we are also supposed to, you know, celebrate you within the culture, whether it's, You've come out. You're talking about it. If you're a you know rock star or you're Nanette or or whoever, pain is sort of a uh, or the 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 sort of opening yourself up and and talking about these terrible things that have happened to you is now a a commodity, right? And it's it's going to get you somewhere. Well, if that is the case, and I think we we have some pretty solid evidence that that is is in vogue. Well, guess what? people then understand that and they are going to uh they're either going to say you need to give me these things because I am showing you this ergo I am courageous and I need to be celebrated or they're going to juke it they're going to up what happened to them in order to um in order to receive the love that they want I've written about a lot of people who have made up a lot of stories in order to be loved and I understand that we all 
we all want to be loved, right? Or almost all of us. And uh, one woman who made up this woman, um, she 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 masqueraded uh, as this writer, J.T. Leroy, who was a um, transgendered, teenage, HIV-positive street kid, and really was celebrated by the culture and wrote all these books. And celebrities used to read his work because he was so shy. Well, it turns out it was actually a 40-year-old woman from Brooklyn. And I wrote a story about her. And people were very hurt. Her name is Laura Albert. They were super hurt. And they felt that they'd been betrayed. She definitely did not apologize for it. She is a very aggressive person. And she said to me, Nancy, are you sorry you gave someone love? It's not the person you thought it was, but are you sorry you gave them love? And it's like, wow, back me into a corner, lady. Like, <laughs> and she, she, that, that was her thing. So, so people here now, it's like, I want this love. I will tell you my pain and maybe I'm going to, um, amplify that pain a little in order to get the love. Um, I, I think there's, there's some similarities here. That's interesting. So, you know, what occurs to me as you've been talking about this is, you know, that there's, again, this sort of similar zero-sum thinking happening where you have somebody who, you know, who who had compassion for a person they thought was real. And yep. then it turned out that what they had compassion for was actually a work of fiction yep. that moved them as though it were real. But this notion that like, I've squandered, I've squandered my empathy and my sympathy and my good feeling on somebody who didn't deserve it as though it's a finite resource. Well, what's interesting is that a lot of people uh, said, you know, when, when JT Leroy was like all in the rage, it was like the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, there were people like, including Mary Gateskill, who was like, you know what? It's occurred to me that this all, is all a hoax, but if it is a hoax, it's a brilliant one. And I got to tell you, I wrote a big story about this for the LA weekly. You can go on, go online and find it. It's called no exit plan. Uh, and it, she, what she did was brilliant. It was really, it was like, it was like someone juggling 40 balls in the air because then she had to create this fake character, which was her boyfriend's sister. It was just this nuts and it was worldwide and it was amazing. But once she was outed, people wanted to say like, well, admit it, admit that you were, because it was great. You should take credit for this. But she wouldn't do it. No, no, no. It was my pain. It was these things my mother did to me when I was little. It's this and that, none of which can be confirmed. And it's like, I would have had more respect for her and wrote a very different article if she had come out and said, yeah, I was the impresario that pulled this out. But she didn't want to do that because she still wanted the, the accolades that come from being a person in pain. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, it's, it does. It, it's, it's crazy. She's, she's a nutty one, man. Well, there's this whole notion too, and I mean, it's it's prevalent. You can see it so much, especially in terms of the writing that women are both permitted and encouraged to do in the present landscape um, is very much tied to the sort of confessional style of writing that became, I mm -hmm. think, a thing, you know, in response to the rise of the internet. Um, that to even be part of the conversation at this point, often you're told that you need to disclose your damage. And, and that's, um, you know, I mean, I think that it says a lot about where we as a culture and as a society imagine that women's value as creators and as writers lies. But also, you know, for those of us who would prefer not to inject our personal lives into our work, or for those of us, you know, who might 
not really want to roll over and be like, yes, like, let me eviscerate myself for your pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like, here, have at my intestines. You know, that that creates a, a barrier um, where, you know, saying, no, I, I want to preserve some dignity and some privacy and, and a, a sort of a, a barrier between what is my own personal shit and what's being put out there for public consumption that you're told that, well, you don't get to be here then. You know, uh, we've all had things happen in our lives. Like every single time that I write an article, I've written thousands of articles. I'm going to say, oh yeah. And listen, there was this time when I was 11, this guy pushed me down a staircase. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know what? You, you are informed by who you are and the work you do. Like you don't need to talk about this stuff. Like, and if someone wants to make their tragedies or their pain the sort of fulcrum and they want to expose it, then that's fine. They they can do that. But I it doesn't axiomatically, sorry, this is the second time I've used that word this morning. <laughs> um, um it doesn't it doesn't make you any more or less anything. And in a way, I I'm sorry. I think it's kind of easy. I and I it it has become sort of in vogue to to say like you you must disclose your pain you must disclose your tragedy i definitely don't think this was the case like 40 or so years ago and and people say well that's because you know people couldn't do it and we kept women's pain and other people's pain like under wraps and and i think that's true and if people want to be confessional that's great you should not be ashamed of anything that's happened to you especially that's you know that that's been perpetrated on you but it, that doesn't automatically mean you should be <laughs> That doesn't, you don't have to mention it. Like it will be there in your work and what you do. And I, I do have a problem with people, you know, wanting, uh, wanting sunshine merely because they think that if they expose this thing, then they deserve it. I mean, we've seen this like, you know, the TikTok kids that, you know, they, they, they fake something in order to get sunshine. And I mean, I, I kind of think this is problematic guys, because this stuff's going to live with you. Uh, you should maybe not fake these things. Like you should, you know what I'm talking about. You've written about this, haven't you, Kat? About TikTok? Um, no, I haven't, but you know, I was thinking about how, I mean, just, uh, like by way of of um, kind of bringing it back to the question of how this stuff almost becomes like a badge you have to flash in order to be permitted to speak. Um, like when I wrote about the Chappelle thing, I had somebody come at me on Twitter uh, saying, why are you talking about this? You know, you have so much privilege. You don't really have the right to be part of this conversation. And at some point, um, I mean, I was very entertained by this. She said like, you know, you're affluent and able-bodied and cis and white and thin. And I was like, you really think I'm thin? But, you know, but also like, you don't know why I'm thin. You know, what if I'm thin because something's really wrong with me that I don't want to talk about? You know, what if I'm thin because I had an eating disorder for years that I would prefer not to discuss? Um, So this idea that like, you know, someone's going to say, well, you have it good. And the only way that you can be taken seriously is to say, no, I don't. I'm actually incredibly damaged here, look, look at it. Um, that's the thing that I, you know, I see it as a dynamic that kind of plays out in a lot of different ways. It expresses itself in a lot of different forms in the current conversation, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's like uh, it's the the Olympics. Like, who has it worse? I have it worse. What? When did that become a thing that you have it worse? It's like I, I was kind of raised like. 
I want to be like faster. I'm like, I want to run faster on the track team or whatever it is. I want to write a better story. I want to not, I don't want you to think I'm good at something because I'm a woman or because I'm pigeon toed or something. You know, I want, I want, I want to, I want to transcend something that, you know, somebody else could consider a, a disability. I want to not talk about it, frankly. Um, but we are not in that culture right now. We are, people feel that they have, they should get special, not everybody, but they should get special things because they happen to be, I, I don't know, they're a lesbian, let's say. It's like, well, I deserve these special things and I need that to be acknowledged. And it's like, I, okay, um, but why? Why does that make you specialer? Right. I mean, I think that the thing, you know, where the line ideally could be drawn is, all right, you know, let's say we have a dearth of lesbian content um, or lesbian stories. I mean, at this point, we have a dearth of lesbians in general. (laughs) No more lesbians, right? uh, Right. As as friend of the pod, Katie Herzog has written about very uh, poignantly. She's like, where are the lesbian bars? (laughs) Right. Yeah. The lesbian bars are a dying breed. The lesbians themselves are uh, starting to disappear. They're sort of like uh, an endangered species. But, you know, the idea should be not just, you know, that the identity itself conveys the, the right or the responsibility to tell certain kinds of stories. Um, and I mean, ideally, I, I think, and this is something that comes up a lot in the conversation about own voices content, that you know we should be encouraging people who are good storytellers irrespective of identity, outside of their identity, you know, not just because you are a lesbian and a storyteller, that doesn't mean that you should be required to tell lesbian stories and maybe that's not where your gift lies. A hundred percent. Like you're a firefighter and you, that doesn't mean you have to write about firefighting. You write about, you know, anything you want. That's the beautiful thing about creating. You are not hemmed in by anything. I mean, you know, I, I am a firm believer that you get to write anything you want. You get to cook anything you want. You, this is what it's about. It's about creating. Okay. And, um, I, I want, you know, for me, the, the food analogy, proof is in the pudding. You know, how is the work? I don't want to, I don't want to have to go through your CV first and figure out all these things and then say, okay, I'm going to judge this work based on these things. I want the work to stand. I, uh, so call me old fashioned cat. Well, you know, I think what we're really missing, as you just mentioned, is pigeon toed identity politics. Yeah, I, 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 I'm a group of one. I, <laughs> no, there are other pigeon toed people too. Yeah. I was waiting a really long time for left handed identity politics, mm. and I just saw, I just saw that somebody tried to do it, and everybody laughed at them. So I guess it's not going to happen. Oh man, every every man that I've been married to or involved with is, is left handed. <laughs> oh. Hi, that was a nice comment there from. Uh... <laughs> that was that was Winston. Winston's making noise. <laughs> he was like, "I'm left-handed." <laughs> Left pod. So you know, on the on the topic of you know the Chappelle protests, I'm just trying to think. You know, have have we said all we have to say? about this you know what's the what's the solution i think it's worth highlighting that the folks who are protesting this and who are making demands 
predicated on the supposed harm done to the trans community by this special. What they're asking for is not going to actually materially impact the lives of vulnerable trans people, you know, impoverished trans people, the trans people who are at risk of violence at all. What it's going to do is kind of enrich the careers of a very few people who already have access to a lot of power and a lot of resources. So is this just completely cynical? Should we just completely disregard it? Is there anything here? Well, first, did so I, I, I wasn't aware, did, did Netflix accede to the demands and say, yes, we'll set up these funds and we'll give more opportunity and more money? Is that Did that happen? I don't think so. I think okay. that so far, Ted Sarandos has held firm. I don't think that Netflix has acquiesced to these demands. I mean, it would honestly be, be quite something if they did. What does seem to have happened is that the person who is experiencing material consequences, negative ones, uh, is Dave Chappelle. I, I guess maybe as a result of this, I don't want to call it like a mass conspiracy um, because that makes me sound like a crazy person, but whatever <laughs> has happened in the media to to cause this to be covered as though it was a, a huge problem. Uh, and this is, you know, it's not just the overstating of the number of people who appeared for this walkout, um, but also the positioning of this by people covering it as though it's a crisis, like a financial crisis, a turning point for Netflix where they have to do something or the brand will be destroyed. They've managed to make Dave Chappelle look like a liability and a risk and like somebody who maybe shouldn't be allowed to put his ideas out there in public because it's damaging to the brand of whomever he's associated with. He had made a film and it was going to be distributed at these different film festivals. And then in the wake of this controversy, suddenly, uh, you know, he was told he was disinvited. You know, he was told, no, you can't come. Well, this really, uh, Kat, I mean, this is this is kind of the story of our time. You've got um, and I think I was listening to Blocked and Reported, too. And Jesse was saying, you know, you had conservatives for a long time saying like they don't trust the media, and of course, we, I am really fairly liberal, and I, I did that argument rang false to me. But in when you look at the way stories have been reported um, for the past couple of years, and this is a very good case in point, you can't trust the media to report this. They do have an agenda, and the agenda in this case was to n- not have Dave Chappelle's work be seen. Why any? thinking, feeling grown up would want to have less work in the world, less pie in the world, fewer love songs in the world, because it doesn't comport with what your idea is, is to me really sad making and also corrupt and also a tell. Because if you have faith in the work that you do, that you think you are able to write an awesome comedy that either will or will not highlight transgender people, just you have that work in you, then you should not care if other people are doing work that other people like. It's really not your business. Just go about and take care of your business. And that the media has been very, very complicit in this, whether it's been writing like a thousand people or or misreporting that shot saying Vito Gisraldi, whose name I last name I can't pronounce, um, was, you know, shouting obscenities at um, these peaceful activists when this is actually not true. That was the caption in the AP. 
thank goodness there is there is there is uh, sound and video footage of this when he's literally saying like I like jokes with people screaming repent motherfucker in his face it is reported exactly the opposite that's problem that is a very very big problem that those of us who really pride ourselves on uh you know reporting the story as we found it um but then the story gets swayed and Dave Chappelle or whoever's work is not it, it, it loses the opportunity to be seen based on on lies this is a problem a really big problem and i think the the only way i can continue to you know make sure that this doesn't happen is to have you know really good conversations with you and put good stories in the world and make sure that people fact check themselves which you know blessed blocked and reported for doing it on this story but it um i i actually don't know how how an editor can live with him or herself or themselves to 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 take something when he's saying i like jokes and report that he's shouting obscenities in peaceful protesters faces how does that happen how do you let that get by? And you know how you do it? You say, well, the ends justify the means. And they never mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. They never do. Right. Well, people say, well, we're doing this for the cause. And, you know, so just again, what's worth highlighting is that in this case, the actual impact on the cause, no benefit to vulnerable or marginalized people. <laughs> One comedian has experienced material uh, blowback where he's not able to reach the same audience that he was. And another guy, just a random fun-loving dude, he had his reputation severely damaged, uh, you know, based on a, a blatantly libelous photo caption. So, Well, you know, he's also gotten tons of publicity, so good for him. I mean, he he waded into the right moment to troll, and I'm, you know, I'm sure he's more successful. I, I remember when I saw this, I went over on Twitter and followed him, and he didn't have that many followers. I Probably not 10,000. I'm sure it's a lot more now. So, you know what? Good for him. That is true. And, you know, yeah. the, the thing is, he already had a bit of a platform. He was already a bit of a personality. Um, but, you know, had he not had that there would have been very little recourse for him. And I think that that's maybe important to note too. Yeah. People don't seem to mind when they, they just like leave the bodies in the road. It's just, it's a problem. (laughs) It's, it's our problem. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that pretty much sums it up. And yeah. Do you have anything else that, uh, that you want to say about our topics today? Uh, that I'm really glad that you really, you, you write about these things, um, like very seriously, but also with such great good humor. Everybody should read your work. I mean, I'm glad they're listening to your podcast, but I really, you are one of the voices that I I love. I love hearing what you have to say about all this stuff, Kat. Keep oh, well, going. The is mutual. Keep I'm so going. glad that we, that we could confab today. Yeah. Kat, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Oh, Thanks. Thank you for being here. And this has been Feminine Chaos.